most of our listeners, um, I know parts of your story, but I sat kind of mesmerized listening to the past uh, two episodes, and I just sat there quiet, which people who know me, that's very unusual. So, But what I'd like to do is, is just ask a few questions of both of you, kind of as, as coming to it as if I didn't know some things. Um, so for both of you, obviously uh, you were teachers prior to the horrible incident, and then there was a period of four years when students who were there, uh, you know, experienced it. And now for the first year, I believe I'm correct, this is the first year where no students who were anywhere there at this point, everyone is out. So first I want to talk about you and your fellow teachers as what was that like during those three stages? I guess one way to look at it is as you look back on the pre-incident Jeff or the pre-incident Sarah, what's the biggest impact in terms of teaching on yours? And then after you answer that, we'll follow up a little bit on what this is. I don't want to say second generation. That's very true. But these are the, as you've pointed out, brothers and sisters or friends or neighbors of these kids. And they didn't go through it directly, but it's not something that community is there. And you have the, you know, you have the anniversaries where you recall and you still have this. So let's start, uh, Jeff, we'll start with you since you're the guest, uh, Talk a little bit about how it's changed you through those three stages, if you would. I think initially, so for my first, you know, up until February of, of 2018, I, I think our, just like I, probably most schools in the, in the country, I, I felt like our school was starting to lose some of its pride and some of its, its singularity for, for the, for the group of kids in terms of, you know, when I grew up and, you know, I'm 50 years old now. So when I went to school in the 80s and even my early teaching career, I felt like all the kids went to the football games, all the kids went to the basketball games, all the kids supported drama, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that seemed to be fleeting a lot. Like school pride was not, again, I think it was, was, was you know, at least in bigger cities of what I saw through my friends, colleagues, other people that I knew that, that taught that, and, and maybe it was a product of, of social media and cell phones and everything else that the kids were just consumed with other things. And they went to school because they were required to go to school and they got their education. I'm not saying they weren't having fun. I'm not sure they didn't have friends, but I just felt like it, it, it fundamentally changed a little bit. Um, and then for us, you know, directly when, when that event happened, it sort of galvanized this, the school. And when we all experienced, even though they were different experiences, we all experienced generally the same thing happened to us and, and I think it brought the staff much closer together and I think it brought the kids closer together and I think you know the, the, the principal at the time was was at the time beforehand trying to bring the pride back into the school by changing you know the slogan the way he talked um, the way he tried to encourage kids to come to events um, and, and I, I think the the event itself the, the shooting itself definitely again sort of, of, of brought the, the all of us together um it was a different kind of togetherness obviously because you know you had kids and we didn't really talk about this that much um you know after the shooting you know any anytime something occurred that was out of out of the norm out of the ordinary whether it was a fire alarm or whether it was even just a drill you had kids that wouldn't think twice about it you know two years ago that couldn't get out of their seats that were paralyzed um, that were shaking, literally, whether it was a false alarm, a, a real event, whether whatever was going on. Um, so it was weird. It was, it was again, there was definitely, I mean, you saw what happened in the march. How many of our kids went to, 
DC. So everybody was was together, but it was it was a different type of together, and there was definitely you know a fear. And at our school, I mean, we had twenty seven police officers I think on campus for that year afterwards. So not that it felt like a military state, but I mean, there were there were cops walking around with with automatic weapons, you know, in our school, this school that you know is from this safe, affluent community, and you know now you're getting you know strip searched when you walk in the door and and you know and it was it was it was different um so i i guess the, the best answer to the three stages was it was, it was a pretty normal high school that was maybe losing some of its school identity and, and again i blame that a lot on the kids reliance on cell phones and and just sort of you know wanting to you know they can't go anywhere without without their devices these days and that sort of dragged them away from some of the things that we used to do when we were kids i know we always you know, talk about it about going outside and playing or doing some of that stuff was, was going away. And then, like I said, during the event, just post the event, that, that four year group of kids, they were close to experience something. And, and we kind of got through it together, but also suffered a lot together. And now this past year, this, this one year that we we've gone. And, and again, all that's left now is like the principal's son who was there at the time is still there. He's a junior. Everybody else is, is, relatives or our relatives now the seniors that i have were eighth graders at the neighboring school and i don't know geography wise the neighboring school was right next to our school i mean it, a canal like borders when i evacuated that day i evacuated at the middle school so i mean it's right next to it so those kids were on lockdown that was obviously a different type of lockdown there wasn't a maniac on the campus shooting people but they went through something as well but just going through drills this year um they obviously aren't as affected as, as, as the previous groups in terms of how they are compared to this, this most recent group. Um, it's weird because of COVID, you know, COVID threw another wrench in it. So, I mean, for our school, I mean, you think about it. And I mean, I just talked about the seniors last year, their freshman year, you know, they had a half, I mean, how were you as a freshman? You, you struggle as a freshman, right? So halfway through your freshman year, the shooting occurs. So that ruins your whole freshman year. You come back the next year and the whole, the second year, Sarah can ch- jump in if she'd like, might've been harder than the year of the shooting. Like that's awesome. that year, that, that year we came back was, was awful. Kids, like I said, were skittish anytime. And people were pulling fire alarms as jokes. And it was, it was astonishing. And kids were literally, I mean, kids were shaking in their seats anytime anything happened. I mean, if there was a, you know, so that occurred and then their junior year COVID happened and, and they basically lost that year and lost their senior year. So that I, I I said last year to anybody that would listen, whether it was my colleagues, whether it was my friends, whether it was, you know, a parent, that those four years had to be, and I don't mean to be negative, the worst four years for any high school graduating class in the history of the United States. Mass shooting, COVID for a year and a half, and then that recovery from the mass shooting. And I mean we were you know, not that we're proud of this, but the biggest mass shooting in high school history. So I, I, I think that is the, I mean, you want to talk about it coming out the other side. That It was pretty impressive that they got through that. But what an absolutely horrific way to spend four years of high school. I mean, literally maybe one normal semester. And that was your freshman, you know, winter. Which How great is that? You're scared to death. The seniors are pushing you around. You have no idea where you're going. And that's their only quote unquote normal semester. So. I mean, Sarah, you got you kind of got to. Yeah, Sarah, what, I, what I, I like tonight is that you uh, can come out of your role as asker of questions. And uh, because certainly you are an expert on uh, 
your high school and what happened. So I'm going to put you on the spot this way. Uh, a little <clears> bit. Jeff did a great job of talking about the, the overall you know, picture. What about you as a person? I mean, you've talked about it before, but there's a Sarah in those three stages again. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that Sarah, does Sarah sitting uh, there today and, and talking, does that Sarah recognize the other Sarah from uh, those other two periods? How does that work? Um, yeah, like there are times that I don't think I've changed very much. <clears throat> Excuse me. But then there are other times that I know that I have. Um, I, I find that I teach, like my teaching style is the way I am as a person. I'm funny, I'm sarcastic, I am talkative, like I don't put on a, you know, Mrs. Lerner facade when I get into my classroom. And the things that I used to really harp on like, I just don't care anymore. And I don't mean that in like a disciplinary curriculum way, but like there are bigger, you know, hills, mountains to die upon than, you know, a kid who comes in tardy or spaghetti straps on a tank top. Like, honestly, I just don't care. I want you in my room so that I can teach you. And, you know, the things that I really harped on and irked my nerves before, you know, it kind of is what it is. And I don't know if that's because of what I went through or it's come with age and wisdom and, you know, having taught now for 20 years, you know, the things that bother you as a first year teacher 20 years in, you couldn't care less. Um, I don't know. It's hard to measure how much I've changed because I don't know. I don't realize I have until like a certain situation presents itself, which is so hard to quantify because, you know, a fire alarm could go off And I'm fine. A fire alarm could go off and suddenly I'm not fine. And it's it's all very situational. Um, I'm sure if you asked my husband and children or my parents, you know, they would have, you know, like a laundry list of ways that I've changed. Um, I think I'm the same outspoken, loudmouth New Yorker that I've always been. I just focus my energy on very specific things now instead of just being loud and aggressive towards everything. Uh, Jeff, in the previous, uh, our previous episode, you made a statement and uh, you said that while this particular group rose to the occasion, I mean, and they really did, okay? And as I say, I, I try to do this as an everyman, but I do have some inside. Uh, Sarah and I met at the museum when I was doing uh, tours there, and I got a chance to meet several of the students. And what I what I found interesting is the students that I met for the most part were not the names in the news, right? They just, I mean, no, no I mean, I met David and Emma later, but I'm just these two, and they were there was something again. I didn't know them before they went through it, but there was just something really special. So. Um, 
certain things happen at certain times. Um, so do either of you have a theory? <sighs> you mentioned, Jeff, it is still, unfortunately, you have the notoriety of having the most people killed in a public school in America. Uh, we have, and, and, and even though there's too many of them, but each one has a little different thing. The most recent Michigan, it looks like maybe there'll be some uh, responsibility attached to the parents for one of the first times in, in these these kinds of situations. Um, you know, it's, it's, each one's different. But do you have any theory on why time? You mentioned social media, all those factors together. But is there anything special about not so much the group, but this one? I mean. You know, people, I'm sure there are people um, who are saying they're going, well, man, they, they met all these people. Well, as you said, and, and Sarah said on occasion, you wish you hadn't. All right. But right. I mean, you, I mean, that, and that's honest. I mean, trust me. Um, and yet you did. So there was something about this different. Um, now, obviously, we'll never know. Did it deter some places? It might. Okay. And it might be a spark someday. Uh, Jeff, you're the history teacher. And I don't know. I have a theory about history. It takes about a hundred years to understand. He needs to go through what happens and then revisionism and this, that. They may look back on that period right then of that was a moment when something, you know, if, if, if the younger generation and inspired by whatever, uh, this might be not, not today, maybe not even tomorrow, but sometime that might be a moment that was one of those moments as you look on the timeline when things moved. So why why your school? Why that time? Any theory on it? Either one of you? As, as, I, said, as I said before, I think, I think it's a combination of, of just, you know, we've had enough. We're not going to take it anymore. Combined with the fact that we did have, you know, strong kids with, with, with varied backgrounds that had a lot of people supporting them parentally and you know, in the education system, they gave them the opportunity to use their voice and understand how they could use their voice. And they weren't afraid to use their voice and combine that with the ability to use the platform of social media to be able to organize quicker. And, and, and frankly, you know, the 24 hour seven news cycle covering it made access to them a lot easier and allowed them to sort of get their I mean, they were on the news that night, most of those kids, you know, and they were, I mean, I don't know if they were household names nationally, but they were pretty close to household names within a week, week and a half. I mean, yeah. our school, you know, whether it was just, you know, and it could, and maybe it was because, you know, maybe Trump being president had something to do with it, that people were just angry in general and a station like CNN said, all right, we're going to have a town hall about this gun thing, you know, a couple of weeks after the shooting and and these kids stepped up to the plate and, and took advantage of that. And, you know, obviously, you know, Twitter wasn't around when Columbine happened. Twitter really wasn't around and big when when Sandy Hook happened. And so like Emma Gonzalez and David Hogg had a million followers right. within two and a half weeks of of the event. So, I mean, again, it's, it's a combination of a lot of things. But again, right people, right time, right backgrounds. Right, you know, resources and, and, and just, again, people, but also the ability to, to you know, for, for them to capture the nation and then the media, and trust me, Sarah can attest to this, the media didn't leave us alone for a long time. I mean, our school, you drove up, you drove over, it's not really a hill, but you kind of come around the corner 
and there were media trucks, you know, a half a mile long at our school. It felt like for three months, you know, I mean, it was that we were in the news just, just constantly. And I mean, there, there wasn't a day on a, on a personal note where I didn't get a half dozen phone calls from this source, that source that they wanted to talk to me about A, B and C. And it got to the point where you almost needed the scheduler. It was, it was crazy, but I mean, it was, it was great because we were trying to raise awareness for the, for the cause. And obviously it died down once the, the, the March ended. I mean, it's, it still existed, but I mean, from February 14th to March 24th, I guess that's six weeks, it was 24 seven. It felt like if you wanted to go on a show, whether no matter what network it was, whether it was local, whether it was state, whether it was national, you had the ability to do that. And these kids said, let's do it because we want to make a difference. And like you said, you're right. That, that could be the impetus of the future towards, I mean, young people did show up to vote more in, in the midterms. They showed up to vote more in the, the last, you know, presidential election. We'll see what happens here in uh, eight months plus, but it's, it's important. <clears throat> and that's, that's, you know, that's why I teach. I want these kids at bare minimum to participate in politics. And that can be something as simple as, as voting or something as awe-inspiring as what they did on March 24th when they, when they marched on Washington. So. And Sarah, of course, Jeff comes from the government history and you come from the journalism and writing and that. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you guys made the point as you in your discussion last episode was you look at, and you know the students, I mean, we don't, but they come from, so many of them came from what you would call either, well, the arts background, or I'm going to give a little push to, to AP courses, uh, government courses, where really that's the art of history. I mean, using it, right? I mean, it really is, and expressing it. Um, so my first student that I met, I met with you the first day I met you. I always come back to her reign. And uh, that's, I wish everybody could experience her. I mean, this is when I talk about the B team. I don't mean in any diminished sense, no. but nobody knows her name, right? I mean, well, very few. I mean, not not to the level of the superstar, but she. I mean, they, and just student after student after student after student. So, do you think? <clears throat> and then I'm, I'm going to follow this both ways, but I'm going to go to you first, Sarah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, with American education right now, a lot of things that are considered frivolous, arts dance, journalism, oh my God, you know, these things. Uh, and yet here we see that made a difference in high school, not later in life. So why do you think that schools, I, mean, I don't know if, I don't think, it, well, you may feel, I shouldn't put words in your mouth, it's vindictive, but you know, that really demonstrated the points, importance. Why do you think a lot of schools don't see the importance of those very things that both of you have kind of said made a difference in this instance. Any ideas there? I don't know why schools would see things that way. I do know to piggyback on what Jeff was saying, these kids, and I've said this any number of times um, in interviews I've done, these are the same kids who will come and stand at your desk because they have an 88 or an 89 and Mrs. Lerner, what can I do to get a 90? So the fact that they are that tenacious when it comes to grades tells you everything about who they are when it comes to ending gun violence. So, you know, for us, 
here, it was not surprising that this movement came out of our community and our school. Um, the fact that the most vocal students were heavily involved in drama and journalism and student government and all of those activities, those are the kids who find value in being a part of something greater than themselves and find that connection in whatever it is. And, you know, in our case, it just happened to be drama, student government, journalism. But there were plenty of kids who were involved in other ways who were not in those programs and, you know, worked really hard to make a space for their voice too. I think all schools should continue with art programs and journalism and music and all of that because it gives you a more well-rounded high school experience and you lose something if you only go to school for core classes and then you go home. You know, my English class should not be the highlight of your day. But if you have no elective choices, it very well may be. And as entertaining as I am, you need those elective classes and those programs that offer you things that I can't and Jeff can't and a math teacher can't in our core required classes. Okay. Um, I don't know how much our listeners know about podcasting, but obviously we record these interviews uh, sometimes they don't air the next night, I guess is the easiest way to say them or scheduled. And we happen to be taping this on the night when President Biden is delivering his first State of the Union message. Now, one of the nice things about sitting in the luxury of tonight where I have just questioning, I can make up impossible questions. I can make up absurd questions. Uh, maybe after listening to how many people, including President Biden, got involved in the situation. But I, I just assume for a moment, and Sarah, I'm going to put you on the spot first, I think, and then we'll go to Jeff or vice versa, whatever way. You guys decide. So I'll make it that open. You can fight over it. But here's the question. Uh, right now, of course, President Biden's mind as we speak tonight has to be the Ukraine situation. Uh, he also has a Supreme Court uh, nomination that, uh, if it's approved, will, will be history and stand forever. But uh, he appears to be the type of president that, that does have a concern about gun violence. I mean, you know, it's certainly not off his radar. So suppose tonight, after he gets done those big topics, he were to give you a call and say, uh, Sarah or Jeff, or working together, I need three concrete steps to start. We got to stop. You know, we, we can't do it all in one fell swoop. Obviously, we know the political realities. America's divided, et cetera, et cetera. What might you suggest, uh, either all three, if you want, or the first one as a starting place? Any ideas, Sarah, what, if, what you would tell the president were he to ask that? I mean, I think after I picked myself up off the floor <laughs> from having passed out that he called me, um, <laughs> there, need to be, there need to be laws put in place, which I know a number of groups are working on, with safe storage. You know, that is definitely a start. The, the red flag laws and like 
Jeff can certainly speak to the politics and the, the legal side of it more than I can, but there are, there are so many things that are easy, simple fixes that can be done that don't need the huge legislation that people think that they do that can make just as large of a difference in the lives of not just schools, but communities of color and other areas that are plagued by gun violence constantly. You know, you hear about the school shootings, but there's so much more that often goes unreported or underreported because it's so common and it, it shouldn't be. So I'll turn it over to Jeff because he I mean, knows background, more background about the legal stuff. Background checks is the easiest thing. I mean, you know, you've heard it a thousand times and we've said it a thousand times, we being the people that are trying to change the laws, that over 90% of people prefer simple background checks. So that can't be that difficult of a thing to, to get past. Um, you know, the bump stocks, we've done things in Florida with. It would be nice to stop those. Some of these gun shows that that allow people to buy guns without really having, you know, really any checks on them. It's incredible that that still exists. Obviously, you know, with, with any of these things, and I could give you 10 more things really, but, but you know, you wanna keep it simple. And I think background checks is probably the, the first thing that, you know, we, we, I would suggest for, for the president and all the legislatures at the national and state level to do. But I, I talk about this a lot with, with my students and no matter what you do, how you say it, ultimately the people that support the second amendment which again i'm not against the second amendment all they hear no matter what sarah or i say here what anybody says about this is you're trying to take my guns right and when, and, and when you try to take something from somebody they immediately just go into frenetic mode and they don't want to hear it they don't want to have it they don't want to you know agree to anything because it's the whole we give you an inch you're going to take a yard so okay we give you background checks next thing you know i'm going to need you know a b or c and 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 it's hard I understand. I mean, no matter what you're talking about, and but it's just the amazing thing to me is how beholden these people have become to to, to weapons. I mean, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've driven down the street with my wife and we just shake our heads with these little slogans on the back of trucks or cars that talk about guns or my AK-47. And it's like, really? And I, I mean, it's you almost want to pull them over and say, you know, listen, man, you know, I had 17, you know, students and colleagues die because of this. And it, it, it's just so inappropriate, but uh, it's, and, and unfortunately it's just generation just passes it down to the next generation. And, and, and I know there's, there's been studies on this and whether or not it's, it's, you know, you can, you can take any study and, and split it any way you want. But I mean, the violence that's, that's in the media, that's on television, that's in video games, it, it's, it matters. It matters. And I mean, I don't think there's anything we can do about it because it's just such an incredible industry in terms of money. I mean, I, I was thinking today, like my wife and I watch very different shows on television. She's a rom-com girl. She likes, you know, a lot of the fun shows that are on Amazon, whatever else, Netflix, et cetera. And it feels like every show that I watch from Breaking Bad to Yellowstone to Blacklist to whatever else, mm -hmm. there's guns. You know, and people are getting shot, people are getting killed and people are getting violently hurt on those shows. Now that's, that's not the, the, the gist of the whole show, but it's, it's, it's the norm. And the majority of shows that are very, very 
popular. I could probably name you my top 10 shows ever. Sopranos, The Wire, right. Yellowstone. You're Great naming Madden. many on my list too, right? Every one of them has violence. You know, every single one of them has violence and guns. And it just, and, and, and even I am sort of anesthetized. I'm just like, ah, whatever. I mean, it, it's just part of the show. And it's, it's, but that's, that's the issue is that, again, I'm not blaming Hollywood for glorifying it. I mean, it is, it's, it's what's in it, but there's no question that kids get desensitized early to it. And unfortunately, especially when you're talking about what happens in our in, in high schools around the country, whether it's us or Oxford or, or, or Texas or, or Columbine or Sandy Hook, generally it, it's it's a kid that feels ostracized. And again, they're, they're desensitized towards guns and they think that they're going to get, you know, literally take their pound of flesh from their classmates or their community or whatever else. And, and that's the easiest way to, way to do it. And it's... I, I wish I had the, the magic elixir answer, but but I don't. But I mean, again, we could start with with background checks just to get people from you know. If it just stops one percent of people, bad people from getting guns, that's that, that's a start. But I, I we we have a a long long road in front of us because again, no matter again, no matter what, what, what topic we're talking about, when people have something that they covet being taken from them, they hunker down. If I can mm-hmm. use a hurricane term from South Florida, and they will not allow. Anybody to take it, and, and trust me, I've spoken to these people ad nauseum, and you can be, you know, you can feel like you're, you're making progress, but in the end, they're like, you're not taking my guns, and it's like, okay, you know, thanks. I, too, don't quite understand how you make that leap, uh, but then, you know, I... <laughs> To also look at the Second Amendment definitely says something about guns. There's no question about that. And something about people. There's no question about that. But I think sometimes uh, we... We've distorted the Second Amendment. There's no question. Pardon me? We've distorted the Second Amendment. Oh, no question. And and someday I'll do my whole show because I was very fortunate to have a couple of talks with... uh, Judge Anthony Scalia and hear his points on it. And he was the one who wrote the decision, the Heller decision. And his... his, (laughs) view of it is much different than it's being pictured uh, in, in certain ways. But the thing that I find interesting, and I was thinking about that uh, today, I happened to see, <clears throat> you know, pandemic has changed also. I happened to see one of my grandnephews. Last time I saw him, I think he was about four foot two, and today he's six six or something. He came in, I'm going like, what the hell happened to you? But it was he's just turned uh, old enough to get his license. And I'm thinking, as I often do, nobody said, his rights were being violated by having to take a test, right? And right. yet people somehow, oh, you're taking my guns if you take a test. You know, and then you, you hear these other things. Or the one that sticks in my crawl this week, so I'll pass it on. I don't always have to be, uh, I get to be subjective too. I'm seeing a lot of uh, things on <clears throat> places that, uh, shall we say, that uh, people who uh, have the uh, Second Amendment thinking are talking about, and they're using the Ukraine as an example of why they should have their guns, okay? Now, I'm not an expert in the Ukraine, but from what I'm looking at, I don't think they had their guns before. I think they're being given to them by yes, the military. Yes. And Jeff, I, you know, again, uh, we don't want to ignore Sarah here, but we're going to go to history just for a moment. Not that Sarah doesn't know, but my understanding, and, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong, in colonial times or you know, around other times, basically... Uh, you could keep your guns, but gunpowder was stored and not allowed to have. I mean, the large, that's why we have it. And sometimes it would explode and et cetera, et cetera. Or the myth of Tombstone or uh, Dodge City, you know, the Wild West. 
they had a simple law. Check your guns when you enter town. Part of the right. tombstone shooting, you know, between the Earps and the Clantons, living legend, was the fact the Clantons said, we're not giving up our guns. You know, I mean, that wasn't the only thing. So I just, I just find that interesting. Uh, the other thing, and I know, uh, Sarah, you're the group, uh, Teachers Unify, to end gun violence. I've called it everything else. Uh, I always get it wrong, but yes, I, think that's, I think that's the group. Obviously, you're going to yes. do, do just what you set out to believe. I mean, you're certainly going to make the effort to do that. Um, but this idea, uh, one of the things that impressed me about the group and why I agreed to do podcasts with you is the fact that you also want to reach out because unfortunately, until the things that both of you and others are working on, there will be another school shooting and another school shooting and another school shooting. So, uh, and then I'm going to, I want to get Sarah's answer first and then Jeff, I'm going to have a specific question related to this to you. But uh, Sarah, uh, if you are a teacher most that I've talked to really, it's not, it's, and it's not even, you know, it sounds so stupid. I didn't think it would happen here. No, that's, it doesn't. Nobody, I mean, even though it's there, it's not, it's, you don't get up in the morning and say, I think today is the day that there'll be a mass shooting in my school or my community or whatever. And they do. So if it does happen to someone, what's the first couple of things a teacher should do based on what you found that worked for you and the friends? What, how should they what, what should they do? I guess I'll leave it open at that. The first couple of things. There'll be years, months, whatever. But the first couple of things, what would you advise teachers do? I think the most, one of the most important things is to have a support system. You know, have people you can turn to. Have people who will let you vent when you need to vent and cry when you need to cry. Um, taking care of yourself and your mental health is huge seeking therapy if that works for you finding yoga meditation essential oils like whatever works for you um you know but doing things like that are definitely helpful and it's okay to not be okay and it's okay to kind of kind of sit in your feelings a little bit you know, and emote as needed and feel what you feel. You know, it's okay to not be okay. Good, sir. And if anybody heard that in the background, that was Sarah actually sending me a message for real in real time on my phone saying, remember, we have an 856 hard stop. That's what that noise was. <laughs> so we do that. So we, I've got to hurry and wrap up, people. No, no, she's right. Uh, so this is my last question and to you and then... You guys can have any closing remarks you want, which will sum up these three weeks. Uh, so first, I want to say, as we always do, thank you uh, for doing this, Jeff. Uh, of course, Sarah and I do it uh, again. We've all said, and it's, it's just we have to keep repeating. I wish we didn't have to, but we do. Uh, it's something we can do and something that's there. But Jeff, um, it might come as a surprise to Sarah. Uh, not that she's a woman, but uh, that you and I are men, even though we talk <laughs> deep. Uh, so... I think men have a particular problem with violence, but I also think men have a particular problem uh, when confronted with violence, right? I mean, what are you supposed to do? You know, you're supposed to, to, to be the hero and save, or you're, you know, you're, you know, you're supposed to rally the little women around and protect them. Yet we're affected the same way. I mean, um, as I've said before, I'll just say it real quickly now. The schools I worked in, uh, the violence was all outside of the school. We never had a school shooting, but we were the first school in the state of New Jersey to have a simulated and that was enough for me. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, that just, I mean, I can't, I, I never, I never would have told you I would have felt the way I did with a simulated shooting and we're not going to go into it tonight, but you've been through the real thing. Um, do you have any special advice, uh, you know, to men? Not, we're not trying to gender break here or say that's it, but I, I think they do have some things when it comes to violence that maybe, you know, I'm not exposed to or the feelings. Uh, when somebody goes through it, and you, you, you touched around it or did a good job throughout, but just kind of summing it up. Again, if, if, if some young teacher or old male teacher gets through, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I echo Sarah's sentiments completely. I don't think it's male or, or, or female here. I mean, you know, you, you need to surround yourself with people that at least can be empathetic. Um, you know, most of, I mean, my wife was was uh, amazing, help to me, but a lot of my colleagues went through the same thing. We were able to talk through it together. We spent a lot of time t together afterwards. And, and like you said, you're right. A lot of guys like to put up that, that facade, like they can't, I mean, I cried a ton, you know, I, I had panic attacks. I, I reached out to people. My wife helped me connect with people, different methods to try to help things. I mean, I'm, I'm a big proponent as, as I've seen you are as well of talking. Um, so, uh, hmm. you know, you want, you, you, you want to talk through things, you know, I mean, you can't, I mean, it's, you know, I, I would argue that the majority of people that, that end up becoming violent hold things inside and then eventually burst and, and do that. So it's important to, to, to reach out. And, and even as a quote-unquote survivor of, of, of a shooting, um, you know, when, when the thing happened in Santa Fe a couple months later, you know, the first thing I did was reach out to teachers from that school. I looked up their directory and I called the social studies head and I, I sent emails out and just said, listen, I know it just happened. I know, you know, you're probably, you know, getting reached out to whether it's media, whether it's up, but listen, we went, I personally went through this. We went through this, anything you need, please call anything. I mean, we, I, we, you know, again, we're not experts in it, but we know what's going to happen, how things are going to happen, how they're going to unfold, what mistakes we made, you know, what we think we did right. And, and, and try to give them a, a blueprint as to, you know, what might not work and, and, and what does work. But again, everybody's an individual. I mean, I, I had a quick, to get a real quick story. I went to a, a hastily organized meeting by the county leaders after we had two people, two kids commit suicide um, the second the, the second year back, you know, the year we got back. Um, and so all the kind of, and, and one of the parents of one of the victims called me and said, Jeff, you need to be here because there's no teachers here. So it was a Sunday. I left lunch with my family and drove down there and called a couple of colleagues and they met me there. And, you know, you had all these these county representatives and school board members talking about, you know, what can we do to help and, and coming up with all these different theories of what they're going to do. And it seemed pretty simple to me. But when I said it, it was like light bulbs went out in the, in the room. And I'm like, man, these people are getting way, paid way too much and I understand. I just said, listen, there isn't a cookie cookie cutter answer to this. You know, every child is different. Every adult is different. And literally, I mean, I didn't think I was saying anything, you know, prophetic, but as I was saying it, people are like, oh, that, that makes sense. And I'm like, that makes sense. Of course it makes. But again, people don't know, you know, they just don't understand, you know, they can act like they understand. They can, you can, again, and that's what you need. You need someone to have that, that, that empathetic shoulder to cry on. But ultimately, you know, talk to the people that went through it and, 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 and Ask them, you know, how they felt, what happened, what can you do? And and realize that, you know, of the 32 kids that might have been in my class that day, there's going to be 32 different reactions to, to what happened. And Sarah and I talked about it last week. Like, we hadn't talked specifically about where we were that day. When she recalled the story of us, you know, meeting, 
you know, when we picked up our cars that day, I don't remember that conversation particularly. And she, I mean, because again, you have moments that you just, you know, you're, you're in a daze or you're and, and things hit you different ways. And, and you, and you just got to try to, to, again, do your best to make it through because there, there are some people that still are broken, you know, that haven't recovered even remotely so far. And they're not, and, and one of my best buddies who's a guy is had to leave the school and he just never sought help. So he's the perfect example here, that 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 male machismo, you know, and just refused to, I don't know if he refused to, he just couldn't, you know, he's, a, he's an older gentleman, he's in his 60s, and he just couldn't bring himself to talk to anybody or really get his feelings out. And he was in the building that day, and he eventually had to quit the school because it was, it was eating away at him. And now I see him on social media, and he looks a lot happier, he's retired, he's living on the beach, I'm sure he still has some demons inside, but he looks... 100% better than he looked last time I saw him. So, you know, if you need to get out, get out. And, and we've had a massive turnover at our school with teachers from from that year. And, and, you know, Sarah and I have both stayed, and I think we're in it for the long haul. Apparently, I have to be the teacher's her kids. Um, but, yes, you know, it, it, it's, you know, but it, you, you got to do what's best for you. And everybody's, you know, everybody's an individual, and everybody has a different answer to that question. So I, I would just say, you know, take care again, take care of yourself. Mental health, thankfully, has become a a major issue now and people are really paying attention to it. And I don't I don't demean and I and I don't criticize anybody for what they're doing because everybody's an individual and everybody has different things that, that work for them. So I'm I'm not an expert on anything. And if whatever Sarah does works for her, whatever her whatever I've done is started to you know has worked for me. And if you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to give options to to friends, colleagues. Unfortunately, uh, you know, people that went through the same experience as us, and that, that, that's all you can do is, is to, to spread humanity to other people, I guess, is the best way to say it. Thanks for listening. Tune in every week for a new episode. Remember, you can find our podcast on teachersunify.transistor.fm or on Amazon, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Teachers Unified PC and online at TeachersUnified.org.